This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Kreuzer, or welcome. Mate, how's Australia? <laughs> oh, mate, bloody oath. Absolute ripper. <laughs> Dingo. Watch out for those kangaroos, boys. Get your sunscreen on. That is a truly terrible Australian accent. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I, I, need to, I need to work on it a bit. But, oh, it's great. It's, um, well, other than being a bit sick, but I got a bit of an infection before Christmas. I had a week off. Thought I was right as rain. Started training. Come here. It sort of came back. So, not ideal prep, but um, all's good now. Yeah, the weather's been cracking, which hasn't been great when I was just sat inside, just looking outside at the blue skies and sunshine. Desperately wanted to get my bike, but no, it's um, it's a great way to start the year. Love it down here, but um, the drivers are terrible and quite aggressive, and all Aussies are a bit like UK bouncers. Like they love to just oh. tell you the rules and just be a bit sort of like, "Ah, oh, mate, you can't do that." I had to go right for an example. At TDU, organisers were really kind and lent me and saw a car for the first week we were here. Go to pick it up in this big sort of like. How do you call it? Like, um, you know, it's got loads of different warehouses on the one plot. So it's like security gates yeah. to go in and yeah. So I stop and I'm like, oh yeah, hi mate. And just come here to pick up a car. He's like, oh yeah, I think that Jersey's high vis enough, mate. But uh, just got to tell you, normally not, not allowed to ride a bike in here. So, oh, right. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, I didn't know. But, you know, it's only around the corner there, I think, um, looking at the map. So, can I do that? Oh, well, yeah, I think I'm going to let you off this time, but uh, <laughs> any of your mates come by, uh, yeah, they're going to have to walk. <laughs> How's this accent coming on, by the way? It's, I mean, it started bad. It's improved slightly. It's still not Australian, but anyway, carry on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go along. Apparently, the speed limit's 10 mile an hour, but yeah, so I roll around, get my car, driving out. As I'm driving out, oh, mate, just got to tell you. My uh, my boss saw you riding, and uh, he wasn't happy. And, <laughs> and I'm the one that gets the blame. I was like, "Oh right, uh, yeah, sorry, well, I was was I doing something?" Nah, mate, nah. I asked him, "What were you doing? Were you doing wheelies or what?" I was like, "No." <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, well, he almost stopped you. He almost made you walk." Um, I was like, "All oh, right, okay." And then he's just like going on and on. And the next thing, his mates like, I don't know what his his uh. His name was. What's the typical Aussie name? Scott. Scott. Hey, Scotty. 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 Cameron. There's two bikes down there, mate. <laughs> and I look at my rearview mirror, and there's two like <laughs> these are proper choppers, like on mountain bikes. You know, I think there was a caravan park in the same little plot, so they must have just been riding there. And he was like, was there? "How the hell do they get in?" And he was like, I, "Oh, mate, I don't have my radio. <laughs> get my radio." And like it was full on like. They were getting attacked or something. So he's like, right, mate, on your way. I was like, oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, thanks for your help. So, yeah, they love a rule. But to be fair, it's good. It is good. I know you've got a lot of competitions on this year, Garrett, and you've got a very full racing programme. But the start of this show makes me wonder um, if we need to add an additional competition to your schedule, which is whichever country you happen to be in when we record the intro, you have to attempt the local accent <laughs> and see how you get on. Oh, yeah, ripper. 
absolute bloody ripper, mate. <laughs> All over that. Uh, lost it a bit there. <laughs> Dingo. So on to club business, G, and uh, we do have some news. Yes, I hear we've signed up some GTCC domestiques. Yeah, we have indeed. So last week we launched our first official GTCC membership and we put a call out for listeners wanting to become a GTCC domestique and get access to a massive range of benefits for their loyalty. And these special people, Garant, were the first ones to answer that call. Just go to patreon.com forward slash GTCC if you want to join them. In the meantime, a huge shout out to the following. Tom Stebbins, Dean Jacobs, Brandon Saturn. Daniel Brown, Autumn Quinn, and Adrian Boychies? Bussies? Butchies? Uh, I, all I'm seeing is boy, B-O-I, like in Wales. What's happening, boy? So we've got Adrian Boychies. Chis. Boychis. Butchies. Uh, maybe you can write in and say how we say his name, Tom. <laughs> Adrian, let us know. Uh, a shout out as well to the following, to Chris Green, to Stephen Tyrell, to Jean-Philippe Michaud, to Joe Biggs, to Simon Bulmer, Martin Dixon, James Thomas, Chris Ho and Simon Gibbon. And your loyalty to the club will be rewarded imminently. Check your Patreon messages this week as our superb club secretary and producer Louise will be sending you out your GTCC annual discount code for the GTCC shop. And the good news is that you can use it straight away if you fancy it. G, tell them about the new merch drop this week. Well, Tom, I can announce that the GTCC jerseys are officially back on sale. Huge. It is huge, boy. <laughs> we'll be putting in a pre-order and this will be the final time you'll be able to purchase one. Yeah, we've got a range of sizes in both the men's and the women's jerseys. And we've also got a very limited number of bib shorts left. So get your pre-order in now before Thursday, the 26th of January. That's the cutoff because you won't be able to get them after this date. Gee, do you want to tell them about our very cheeky new product? Yes, so we asked our members a while back for one product they wanted us to launch and, well, surprise, surprise, the most requested item was a gilet, a wind gilet. Very funny, guys, yeah, very <laughs> funny, yeah. So we've gone ahead and done it. We've got a made, a custom GTCC gilet. So obviously this is to be warm whenever our members are taking part in important time trials, Geraint. When else should people wear their gilet? <laughs> Well, whenever you want, really. You know, it's, it's a nice and extra layer to keep you warm when it's a bit chilly. But, you know, if it's a bit rainy, you can put it on. Maybe if you just do a cyclocross race, Tom, if you want to keep your jersey clean, Ooh. chuck it on. You know, if you can TT in it and train in the rain in it, I think you can do anything in it. I always think a gilet is quite nice for a descent as well. I mean, obviously, you're not going to stop at the top of a climb to put a gilet on, but the rest of us can because we're not against the clock. So it's quite a nice little item to stick in the back pockets of your jersey, isn't it? And then when you're about to get freezing cold by descending, pop it on, job done. That is true. I do do that. I might not stop, but yeah, you can go on an hand and take it out of your pocket, put it on and boom, down you go. You, I'm sure, G, can do that very clever thing of putting your gilet on while you're moving. Whenever I think about gilets being put on while you're moving, I think about Jai Hindley in the Giro a few years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you remember this? <laughs> <laughs> when he nearly rode off a mountain just trying to put his gilet on without stopping. Yeah, yeah, you need a bit of momentum. I think he had a bit of, it was a bit gusty as well. So, yeah, bless him. He managed it in the end though, didn't he? He did, yeah. So if you fancy a gilet, just go to gtccstore.com to order yours. You can also get your jerseys and your bib shorts in the same place. And don't forget, 
If you sign up at patreon.com forward slash GTCC, you can become an official GTCC domestique and you'll get a shiny new discount code in your inbox. Right, should we get a guest on? Let's do it. We all love coffee, don't we, G? Never do this pod without one, Tom. Or a ride, actually. Yeah, there is nothing better than a quick coffee for a cold winter ride or before hopping on Zwift. So, I know we'll both be delighted with the next sponsor of this podcast, Origin Coffee. Also, there is a cheeky discount code we've got for all our listeners. Origin Coffee are one of the leading brands on the coffee scene, and they get just how much cyclists love coffee. And get this, Tom. Origin's director of coffee... Freda is a three times UK cup tasting champion. Not once, Garrett, not twice, but three times. That is pretty impressive. Would you like another great fact? All online orders are roasted and shipped the very same day. Super speedy, just how we like it on this podcast. They also have a rewards program, so customers like you and me can earn points and get cash back every time we shop online. So why not try one of their delicious espresso blends or an interesting single origin coffee? There are so many profiles to try, and all the coffee comes in home compostable bags. So if you want to order some Origin Coffee and get a massive 30% off, just go to origincoffee.co.uk and use the code GTCC30 at checkout. That's the code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy! Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Tom, we're joined today by a former Ineos teammate, but he had an incredible 2022 season, finishing second in Tour Flanders, and then a couple of weeks later, launching a solo attack to win the famous Paris-Roubaix. So, it's fair to say he's pretty good on cobbles. Welcome to the GTCC, Dylan Van Baal, DVB. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for coming. It's been a bit, um, well, a bit hectic getting here. So, I dropped off a mic to dylan yesterday tom being all prepared you know professional as i am like it and dylan messages me about 20 minutes before we start uh gee i forgot i actually don't have a laptop anymore so i can't <laughs> plug this microphone in i've got an ipad so it's like oh don't worry you know monaco's a small place i'll bomb up to you now on the scooter jump on my scooter no petrol i was like ah oh. the light's been on for a while now i don't know how long it comes on you know on scooters i'm guessing the range is a little less than a car so you can push it a bit in a car can't you anyway go into this petrol station there's a little roundabout buy it and i was just in a bit of a rush you know you know don't want to keep dylan waiting he's uh, <laughs> as you can see in the video he's got stairs in his apartment so he's he's making money tom you know time is money and uh kind of just swing left into this um petrol station police guy comes over come and see me when you're when you're done uh-oh okay yeah so we had 10 minutes to find the petrol cap. It's a new scooter. It wasn't in the usual place under the seat. Oh. It was in the side bit. It took me 10 minutes just to open this side bit. You know when like you just can't do something and you keep doing the same thing? Was it locked? Did you have to use the key fob? Uh, 
it, well, I had to use the key, but I had to like sort of push it in and twist it in a, in a weird sort of way. It was like escape rooms, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I finally get into it, fill it up, go see the, the policeman. Luckily, he was like, oh, normally it's 150 euro fine for doing what you did there. And I was like, oh, that's steep. He was like, oh, but don't worry. Have a good day. You can get going. So I feel like I'm winning at the minute. To be fair. The look is on your side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've got a feeling this is going to be a good podcast. Anyway, enough, enough about me, but Dylan, how are you, mate? I'm all good. I'm all good. Back in training. Yeah. So as I said, former teammate, because come January the 1st, he will no longer be my teammate, but go into the darker side. <laughs> the... Is it? it? It's the Dutch side, so it's not so dark, no? <laughs> it's pretty dark, mate. <laughs> the Dutch. You, you like the Dutch. We all know that. Yeah, I, I, to be fair, I, you know, you've got a strange sense of humour. You're all a bit too tall for my liking, but, you know, you're not bad. You're not a bad bunch. Happy with that. I take that. Dylan, you are also our third Dutch guest of the series, so I think that shows how much Geraint likes the Dutch. Um, my first question to you, <laughs> and this goes back to the very first series of the GTCC, when we had another former Dutch teammate of Geraint's on the pod. And we found out how many Dutch swear words Geraint knew at that point. Geraint, that was probably two years ago, wasn't it, when we spoke to Wout Pauls. So I wonder, Dylan, if you have taught Geraint any more Dutch swear words in the intervening two years. We have to find out, no? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. Don't think so. No, I don't swear, Tom. I'm just a very polite, nice guy. He changed in the last two years, actually, a little bit. <laughs> he now know, know the nice words. Actually, go on. <laughs> Thank you, all. Yeah, there you go. That's all you need to know, Tom. Surprisingly polite. Um, let's talk, Dylan, about this year, because this feels like the year it all came right for you. And I was wondering whether your fantastic 2022 actually began weirdly in the previous year, because you were second at the world's road race in 2021. When you get a result like that, does it just do a little something to your winter training? Does it just give you a little bit of impetus into the next year? Um, it, it doesn't uh, change a lot in, in the training, but you just have a lot of confidence going into the winter, basically. And uh, you know that you're capable of doing nice things in big races. So um, I took that with me in the winter and executed it in the racing. So... Uh, yeah, there was, uh, was some super nice spring racing, yeah. Just to jump back quite a few years before we get into this year, were you always a classics guy? Was it like, you know, ever since you were younger, like, oh, I'm going to, what, what classics is what I want to win? Um, yeah. you won Tour of Britain, didn't you? Yeah, I won Tour of Britain. But yeah, when we go back even further, when you are under 23, you're basically a bit like an all kind of terrain kind of guy, you know? Okay, not a, not a pocket climber, of course, because I'm too, a bit too tall for that. But yeah, when, when you are on the 23, you try to see where you're good at, I guess. And then you are from Holland, so then you get easily more pushed into the classics. So uh, I think it's a bit of a created love. Uh, it's not, uh, not so much from, yeah, when you're like five, six years that you, that you think about like Roubaix and Flanders, but... As more I got into it, yeah, the more love you get for it. Mm. 
when Dylan joined the team, because you love Flanders, you love Paris-Roubaix, they were part of your own cycling education when you were younger. And at one point in your career, it looked like where you were going to end up when you were tilting at Classics rather than being a GC rider. So when someone like Dylan joins the team, are you sort of simultaneously happy because you know how good he's going to be in those races? And also a little bit like, hmm, I'm not really going to go back to the Classics then, am I? Huh. Um, I can't remember. When did you join the team? Um, 18. 2018. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I was, I kind of left the classics by then, hadn't I? But yeah, I was happy to, you know, knowing that Dylan was a strong rider and he certainly helped me in the, the rolling terrain and the flatter days of the tour and things like that and other stage races. But at the same time, uh, yeah, just happy for, to have someone like that in the team because the classics was one thing that had always eluded us, you know, in the sky years, we'd never been third a couple of times, I think with Stannard and Fletcher, but never done much more than that you know I'd won E3 and we'd done well in a few of the other semi-classics but when it came to Paris-Roubaix we hadn't really nailed it and um, we'd come close and we'd had a lot of potential but never really done it and yeah getting Dylan on board certainly strengthened that lineup but just goes to show like you know it all came together for him this year but he's been a quality bike rider for years and yeah so it kind of shows there's a lot of um, luck involved as well you know you got or just not have any real bad luck because when it comes to Roubaix a lot of people crash and puncher. It's just having those moments uh, and not so bad time, if you if you get what I mean. Like not in a crucial moment, having it on a bit more of a down period. So yeah, yeah. I had this year also a flat tie on on like a moment where you where it still was kind of okay to have a flat tire. And yeah, I think if you if you if you're on one of those days, I think you. Yeah, you also can avoid a bit of the unluck, I guess. Um, yeah, and I think on that day everything came together, and I had uh, not uh, not a lot uh, bad luck. So um, yeah, I was happy with that. That's one thing as well, Tom. I think when you're on a good day, moments like that almost don't affect you. Because um, I remember in Swiss, I really needed a, a, a wee, and um, Swiss this year, and. It was quite a sketchy moment, but, you know, we were going to do a big descent and then the final climb. And um, I just said to um, Omar, oh was, I was like, he was pushing me. I was trying to go on the move. I just couldn't get going. So I was like, mate, let's just stop. Slammed on, braked, did my did the business, got going again. And then we get back and he just turns to me and he's like all sweaty. It's like, gee, this was an expensive one, eh? <laughs> but I was just thinking... I didn't really touch the sides, mate. Like it was, you know what I mean? So when you're, when you're good, you can sort of get away with things like that almost. But you say that Dylan, and I'm sure we're going to get into it later. Actually, I'm not going to give the story away. So, but you had a bit more bad luck than just a a puncher. That's for sure. Do you know what I think we should do, G? Earlier in this series, we had a lot of fun with Michael Matthews. We did a real deep dive on his uh, stage win at the Tour this year when he won on the stage finish to Mond. So let's do that with Dylan. Let's do a real super deep dive into Paris-Roubaix this year to find out how it all happened. And I suppose the way it starts with these things, Dylan, it is such a strong team that Ineos had for Paris-Roubaix this year, wasn't it? You've got... Well, you pretty much got everyone who's been a guest on Geraint's pod. So you've got Luke, you've got Quieta, you've got Ghana. Then you've got the young guns like Ben Turner and Magnus Sheffield. So when you're starting that... Cam Worth. Oh, I knew yeah, Cam as well, of course, yeah. <laughs> Another GTCC guest. So when you've got a team like that um, at your side, that's got to be a great feeling when you're lining up at the start. 
Yeah, I think I think it all um, started with the semi classics as well that we were really riding as a team and yeah, the, the, and especially with Amstel uh, that Quiato won Amstel, that was already something special. Uh, Magnus took it over in in Brabant Nepal, so we had a lot of motivation. Um, yeah, also in in Roubaix itself, it was a little bit of crosswind, but it wasn't our plan to split the split the race basically but it just happened and yeah we were all on the in the right place on the right moment so yeah then we went for it just to jump in here for the people listening how does that happen so you're all there or thereabouts in the front yeah you can feel the wind who makes a call is there a call or is it all but just you all just sort of like well this is it no the so, so Servas Knava, our DS for the race, he told us that there was a little bit of wind, so we had to be focused in the beginning uh, to not lose any stupid energy, basically. And then it was was just, yeah, you know the roads there, you know, it's like a bit lumpy, a bit up and down, a um, bit open. So yeah, there were, there were a lot of attacks, and that's basically how the split happened. Just a lot of attacks, and everybody was following, following, and then someone let the gap, and then we heard... Uh, the peloton was split and then we made the call to to just give it a go and you went were you you were rotating as well with Luke yeah. and everyone yeah yeah in the beginning yeah and was how was that like what sort of percentage of your maximum was that yeah I would say uh, 80, 85 uh, yeah I, I, there I could already feel that I had a good day I yeah think. <laughs> so Cam must have been well over his limit then if you're at 85% <laughs> no, no disrespect to Cam but you know you were on some yeah but you also you also know that it's not gonna happen very soon that that you are in a situation that you hit the first cobble section with maybe 60 70 guys you know and with seven guys of 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 your own team so um yeah you need to take that advantage and make the most out of it you know we we went i think the cobble section uh what is it 30 uh we went yeah the seven of us in front and yeah you also know how that's not going to happen like anytime soon. So what are you thinking then? 200 odd K to go. Yeah. And you're all rotating at 85% of your maximum. <laughs> like, what are you thinking then? Yeah, you think it's going to be a long day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, what I said, I think it was the perfect situation for, for all of us. Um, we all also know that if it was a full bunch, then we would have probably lost a few guys already on the first cover section. But in this case... We could have some bad luck as well with uh, Quiato, of course, crashing and, and Magnus, I think. Um, so we had also our, our bad luck, but it was also possible to have some bad luck because we were in front. Mm. There are so many random things, G, aren't there, that can happen at Paris-Roubaix. Like, I don't know if you, when you were a kid, you used to watch the Grand National and you used to do a sweepstake or anything like that with your mum and your dad and your brother. But in the same way as you watch the Grand National and you can have a favourite going round and then something will happen. Might not be a mistake the favourite makes, it might not be a fall, it might be they get cut up by a riderless horse. You know, it's such a random yeah. race. And Paris-Roubaix always seems that way um, in the same sense that you can have the best laid plans and you can be in great form, but something can come in and mess it all up. Yeah, most definitely. Fortunately, they don't put you down if you, uh, you know, <laughs> injure yourself badly. But um, no, yeah, it is. It's, it is a bit of a lottery like that sometimes. Like, I remember we had a similar position. I, I don't know what year it was now, but we were going into the cobbles before Arenberg, which is, the you know, one of the main sectors because everyone, it kind of splits there. And then that's when the race really, or well, when it used to start. 
And we were going along there and I was feeling great and then just hit a bit of gravel on a 90 degree corner. And that was it. It was on the deck and then was out at the back and then you're kind of fighting your way up and I was just coming up on the right and then there was a big crash on the right. I got squeezed into the barriers, boom, down again. This is into the entrance of Arenberg. So then you're starting there on the back foot, you're chasing full gas again, managed to get back. Just as I get back, we're about to hit another sector and um, Heyman was in front of me and he just bunny hopped this curb. I just didn't see it coming. Heyman's a big boy and I was a bit gassed from, you know, 20k of chasing basically. Hit this curb and um, crashed for third time. And that was all within 20k and yeah, by then my race is over. But um, yeah, and as Dylan says, it's very often that you enter that the first sector, for instance, which is still a good 200k to go, I think. It's, it's a long yeah. way out. Yeah. But even by the end of that, you have, you've, the chance of you having a full team is pretty minimal, even with 120-odd guys in the group. So for them to enter that all on the front, seven of them in a group of 30, was um, a great, great way to start. Yeah, I, I also remember the year that we did Roubaix together that, that you also crashed on the first cobble section. There was your race over as well. Oh, 18, 18. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was super muddy, wasn't it? And it was... No, it was just one section. That I think it uh, rained overnight. So it was like just the first section where it was a bit muddy. And... Um, Do you remember the recon though? Yeah, the recon was pretty muddy. Yeah. Stanard slapped off and he was just like, it's as if he just... Well, jumped into a big mud puddle. Yeah. He was yeah, yeah. covered. I remember that night before. I was dreading it, but I was like, "Oh man, like, oh, it's just not a nice feeling knowing that it can just be absolute carnage, and you can do everything right, and you can still just end up on your ass." Um, I remember that one. Yeah, I was probably thirty, forty back, and there was a crash in front. You can't really break, can you? You try to no. spot, you try to get out, move, but then you slip on the mud and. I was like, what am I doing here? I'm trying to win the tour and I'm <laughs> scrapping in the mud in Roubaix. But that's because Roubaix had a stage in the tour, so we thought it was a good idea to do, but wasn't in the end, really. Uh, at the end, it worked out, no, for the tour? I guess so. Lucky I didn't <laughs> do any damage, but yeah. So Dylan, when you're halfway through the race this year and the legs are feeling good and the circumstances around the race are starting to work out in the sort of way you'd like them to, how do you stop your head getting ahead of itself? How do you stop yourself thinking, hang on, this could be the year, this might be the year? Yeah, you're you're not really thinking about it at that point because you know that it's still half half race left and again happens so many things as well. So you just try to stay focused and be in front of um, when you enter uh, the couple sections basically. So yeah it's a bit further uh, in the race where you really start thinking okay this could be uh could be a really nice day because even though um we had like seven in that group of 30 didn't you go back to the group behind with that puncher yeah yeah so it, it's it was basically um where we always start the recon in Dene. Mm. um i knew there was a section of 11 or 12k uh, of tarmac so that's where I changed uh, changed my bike basically because I knew that that you had a had a bit of time to to recover from it, and I knew that the the group behind me was was super close behind. So, yeah, it, basically when I changed my bike and I I was in the in the second group, we already catched the first group before the next section. So that was, was actually perfect for me to change it there. 
And in the end, you weren't clear. Was it about 19k to go when you weren't clear? How did you decide to make your move there? Before we jump into that, Tom, tell Tom about what happened. Well, I don't know when it happened, but yeah. So I, I changed, I changed my bike um, at that point. Uh, it's basically a bit halfway, uh, yeah, halfway race, I guess. Yeah, 120 to go, is it? Um, yeah, 110, 120. And then after that cobble section uh, uh, where G was talking about that he uh, hit the deck, um, after that section, I I could feel that my front brake was um, not as strong anymore as, as before. So I was like, oh, maybe it's losing some pressure here. Um, so yeah, going into Arenberg, I, I felt a bit, felt a bit scared to be honest. Um, so I I drifted a little bit back, and then I tried after Arenberg if if my brake was was still there, and yeah, it was basically gone. So um, yeah, I, I finished with the with with only my my rear brake. So uh, maybe that was my luck. So I couldn't brake too much. That's the secret, Tom. Don't brake. <laughs> <laughs> just talk us through, I don't mind which of you does this, but just talk us through for people who have never ridden on cobbles, right? The, the difference between having a working functioning front brake and having just a rear brake, the difference that that feels when you're trying to slow down, what it does to your bike. I'm happy that, uh, that it was my front brake that uh, was gone because I think if you only have a front brake, then it's a bit more hard to really control it, I think. Yeah, especially with the gravel and the mud and stuff. Like, if you've only got your front brake, it's a bit more it's Ricky, dodgy. Yeah. yeah, it's more powerful, obviously, but yeah, it's, yeah that, that's you easily lose your front wheel. Yeah, but then also, I think a lot of things people probably don't realize, but there's actually a lot of corners on the cobbles. Um, it's rare that you have one sector that's just pure straight. You yeah. know, Arenberg is straight, but the rest tend to have a few cobbles. So you definitely have to brake, and you have to be sort of choose the right gear because you don't want to be too sluggish coming out of corners and stuff and accelerating out of corners and everything you know it all comes into play so yeah brakes are pretty crucial i would say <laughs> is there a danger if you're just using your back brake um and maybe listen i'm not on the same sort of bikes as you guys is there any danger if you're using the back brake that it gets a bit skiddy that it gets a bit too grippy yeah I've, luckily i've always had two so um you have less power <laughs> that's for sure you have less power with the with the with the rear brake but yeah, I don't know. Did it play on your mind much? Because I guess you you must have to think a bit more. I was thinking if also my rear brake goes, then I really have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like that that point where you where you still have some pressure, and then you that's the only scary moment where you think ah maybe I have just a rear brake left, and then you forget about it mm. actually. So. Yeah, that, there was this just one section where you uh, enter uh, Arenberg. Also, because there was a little bit of dust, I think, on my uh, rear brake. So, yeah, I wasn't braking so much, to yeah. be honest. I guess by that point, there's no you couldn't have changed your bike again. Yeah, I wanted to, but um, yeah, the, the car was so, so far, far behind. And yeah. I guess they didn't change my my wheel uh, from, from the other bike. So, I couldn't really change, actually. Mm. So maybe that was also my luck. Okay, so you're down to one break and then 19 kilometers to go, you decide to make your move. Why at that point, Dylan? Yeah, because I knew this is the, um, the cobble section before uh, Carrefour de l'Arbre, which is 
basically one of the hardest of the of the race and i knew we had crosswinds from the left and then we turned right and then we had crosswinds from the right so i knew that uh it was a hard section because of the wind there and i tried to slowly kill them basically to make them tied before the uh de l'arbre and that's where i really wanted to attack but um yeah, they they lost already the wheel there, or already they you lost. You killed the wheel. them. You killed them too soon. Yeah, I killed them too <laughs> too quick. I didn't want to. I, I wanted to kill them slowly, but it was uh, was pretty quick. Now, I, <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to uh, give the big attack on Carrefour, but uh, then Servas was saying that that I already had a gap, so I, I I didn't look back anymore. If I watch the the replay, for example, I I think oh they are still pretty close before Carrefour, but. Um, yeah, luckily they they cracked on on Cafour de Labre and um, yeah, I could could keep going. Who was it? Who was it chasing you? Mohoric and uh, Lampard. Ah, oh, did you see Lampard's crash, Tom? In this year's race. Yeah, it's not nice, was it? So like Dylan had won by this point anyway, but a spectator, wasn't it? Like a bag yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 or his arm or something. Yeah, and he basically like. He went flying off the bike, didn't he? Yeah, he made the he made a big uh, big fly. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. it was not nice to see. No, well it, now that he's fine, it's it's quite nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he'd been badly injured, then yeah, it's not good. But he's okay, so just Google it. Lampart crash YouTube. It's one of those crashes, isn't it? Where in the days afterwards, different videos emerge where people have been filming it on their phone. And yeah. then you see it from different angles and then you just hear the horror from the spectators as it's happening, the gasp and the, <gasps> and the clattering of a bike hitting the deck. Yeah, it was just like the way he, he crashed, like how his body went through the air. Was, yeah, that's it's not the, nice to see. That's the one thing with Roubaix as well because you've always... Going for that tiny bit of dirt, like that bit of like, oh, that's a bit smoother there. I'll get off this cobble here. But the crowd, obviously, is so, well, there's a lot of people come the last, from Arenberg on, really. And um, atmosphere is amazing. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's dodgy moments. Yeah, like Carrefour, I, I didn't really ride on the, in, in the grass. I was just like, yeah, I can't take the risk to... I was going to ask that. Yeah, you purposely stayed on the cobbles yeah, all the yeah. time. Eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the one after, you have like a, a good gravel section uh, next to it. But still, a lot of people were were on the on the gravel. So they, they moved, um, luckily, on time for me. Hmm. You riders always seem to get to certain spectators slightly quicker than they imagine. There's the point where the spectators are all leaning out into the road and waiting for you guys to come along. And the majority dip out of the way in time, but there's always one or two who seem slightly startled at the pace you're going and leave it a Probably little bit drunk. too late. <laughs> yeah, being drunk doesn't help. And um, <laughs> didn't Daniel Loss smash into someone as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a bad one as well, but um, enough of crashing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I've just caught a glimpse of the actual cobble. I didn't see that when I came in. No. It's oh, the trophy. It's heavy. It looks it looks bloody heavy. It's huge. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't actually seen one in real life, Tom. Well, I've seen it from afar when I've been depressed, <laughs> caked in mud, thinking, oh, you bastard, wish I'd won that. But because um, I won one for the junior one, I reckon it's a quarter of the size of that. Yeah. That is well, a... as, as it should be. Well, okay, Tom, okay. <laughs> to be fair, I wouldn't be able to lift that up. 
now, let alone when I was a junior. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have any fears, Dylan? Because it's such an unpredictable race. I don't know how much information you're getting from your DSs throughout about time gaps. When you were watching it on TV, you had this sense that Wout van Aert was coming charging through and you didn't know watching on TV whether he timed his effort, whether he was going to get back to you. Were you getting information about where he was? Did you have any fears about him catching you? Um, to be honest, if, if if I think about that now, I, I, I don't really know what, what information I got at that point. I was just so focused on staying on my bike um, and get as quick as possible to the finish. The only thing that I remember is that uh, like 5K to go, the car came next to me and yeah, then I knew that I was going to do it, you know? Yeah, until there, until yeah, basically the, the second last cobble section, you you don't really want to think about it. You just want to keep pushing and yeah, go as quick to the finish as possible. How about that drag on the road, you know? Um... After the last sector or the last proper sector. Yeah. Like, yeah that's where the car came next to me. Uh, so yeah, I was like, okay, if if I can get over this drag and they are not catching me, then then it should be alright. But then the car came, so I was I was like, okay, yeah. I think the gap is quite quite big then. Cause this drag, Tom, it must be two percent. I don't know, it's not or yeah. maybe a little bit more, but it's nothing. But at the time it feels like Abduez. Yeah. When it comes to the end of that race. But if you're winning by 30 odd seconds or whatever it was, I think it's be a bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, a, this was one of the times that it was easy to go over it. Mm. Yeah. What's that feeling like then Dylan, when you finally dip into the velodrome in Roubaix? Cause we've all watched it as kids. We all know what it means. And you turn into that velodrome and it's going to be you today. Yeah. That was, that was insane. Like, yeah, you, you've only seen seen it from television that, that someone comes in as first on the velodrome, so you don't know what to expect. Um Servas was yeah, I was saying in the in the radio that I had to enjoy this moment as much as possible. Um in between his tears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't speak much at the end anymore because he was he was crying, but um yeah, he could still say that. Uh yeah, that was that was something special that everyone is there to to cheer you on and I couldn't believe it. I, I watched the uh, the big screen to to really see if it was was happening, you know. And then yeah, you. I still went quite hard the first lap, and then I saw nobody was coming. Um, saw Dave on the finish line already the first time when I passed. And then yeah, I still saw nobody coming. So then you realize that you that you've made it. I've had a similar feeling to that, Tom. Uh, when I won Junior Roubaix, so I was with Stannard, and. Uh, you do the last sector, which is just, it's not proper cobbles. It's just little, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Clinkers. Like you get in a car park, yeah. Yeah. And um, you come off this sector and you do a right and then a hard right into the stadium. So we do a right and Stan and I just went left back onto the road. What? And I kept going right. And uh, I was just like, oh, I might as well just keep going then. So I just, <laughs> I just start sprinting and uh, going to the velodrome like I'm already half a lap ahead then by the time he comes on but um that was still a really good feeling but he he always he tries to flick himself there oh yeah, big time, yeah. <laughs> but he likes to think that he could have beaten me but i was like mate no chance i i, I had that all well, day long sprinted him easily no yeah easily tom <laughs> take your word for it yeah. um we need to talk about something that happened as you crossed the line dylan and um 
because you've, le- you've left Ineos, maybe you can speak about this honestly in a way that G can't, but the behaviour of Dave Brailsford brought to mind the Champions League final of 2012 when John Terry, who had not been involved in that final, appeared as Chelsea were being given the trophy in a full Chelsea kit. Now, Dave Brailsford wasn't in full Ineos kit, but I have never seen a team director appear on a finish line as quickly as Dave Brailsford <laughs> did when you won Paris Roubaix. Yeah, what, what do you want to say? What do you want me to say about it? <laughs> it was hard to break though with one break. I almost run him over because I had only one break. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, from there was actually also the the only person that I really saw there because I was standing on his own and you were riding in your own little world and then he's standing there. So there was... Yeah, for him it was also probably a special moment. Yeah, I think all those years, as I said, trying to win, you know, he was pretty obsessed with it as well. So I think he was certainly happy with that. But I remember he told me that um, he was at the bus, which is obviously outside the velodrome, and you know it looked like Dylan was going to win. So he said, "Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get to this finish line. You know, I'm going to see him." And uh, he said he left, and Rod messaged him something like oh shit or oh my god or I <laughs> no. <can't>, yeah <laughs> and I don't remember what it was but um oh it was the Lampard crash I think it might have been so then Dave got this message I was like oh no but then he has no signal and he can't <laughs> see a tv or anything until he gets into the velodrome she has no idea what's happening and then he gets into the velodrome and then sees Dylan still on his bike and then sees a few replays of Lampard it's like oh that's what it must have been but uh can you imagine oh <laughs> Not the look at your arm there. Yeah. I think we need to let him off the hook. Look, it's an essential part. As you say, G, it had been a very, very long wait for Ineos and Sky before that. And also it's an essential skill, isn't it, of um, of a team leader to be there when it matters. You know, I remember the um, final time trial in the Tour in 2018 down there in the southwest of France. And much as you were delighted to see Saar running towards you as you crossed the line and your Tour victory was guaranteed, Dave wasn't far behind her. Yeah, yeah. Dave and Tim were there actually. Yeah, so uh, that's always a funny one, though, isn't it? It's like you're celebrating the win, but you still got a stage to go. But um, yeah, no, they are special moments because they're very rare. Um, let's be honest, unless you're like you know Boonen or someone, or you know people that win a lot. You know, Froome, for instance. You know, yeah, unless you're one of them, then or Pogaccia, he seems to win a lot. But you know, it's not a given. So you work so hard, you have so many knocks and stuff, and especially guys our age you've sort of been through the ringer a bit you've had big disappointments you've been close um that was one thing i was going to ask dylan like you were second a couple of weeks before in in flanders did that take pressure off or did it keep it on like were you just like wow you know i've got i've got a podium now it's a good result you know this is this is a bonus race or is it like oh shit i really need to i can do this now i need to yeah i i think a bit of both actually so it took a lot of pressure off of myself uh that i was second in flanders um but i also knew that that the legs were really good and also in amstel i had a pretty good feeling on the bike so i knew that there was still something nice happening or could happen you know so no it didn't really uh took a lot of pressure off uh, it took a lot of pressure off but still i also kept the pressure on because i knew um, that the legs were still there yeah yeah What's that celebration like that night, Dylan? It's a part of the world that does some very good beers. Did you get stuck in? Yeah, we had uh, we had quite a few. Yeah, I would say 
um yeah there was a there was a big night we so first we wanted to go to some sort of club disco kind of thing there was the plan before i won of course um, and then the guys they arranged like a, a dj so a dj came in a few of my friends came in my family came in um, and the whole team stayed um even even dave canceled his uh, private flight to to stay there so that was that was also pretty cool um yeah and i i basically don't know how late it uh, how late it was so um it's all being a bit of a yeah blackout always a sign of a good night that yeah didn't the pluska come as well yeah so we said uh, to laurens um if we be on the podium in Roubaix, you you should come and celebrate with us and then he was like yeah yeah i will come i will come and then he was basically the first guy that that was at the hotel so that was pretty cool <laughs> And what about one of your mates? Then they almost die in the canal. Yeah, so I wasn't, I, I was there, but also I wasn't there. So uh, he he went outside to take a, take a wee, um, I think. <laughs> and uh, there is, uh, have you been there? Not there, the new one, no. So there's like a little lake or no, a canal. And of course it was dark, so you couldn't really see anything. Um, and he walked outside, walked into this canal and then... <laughs> He almost drowned himself. So, um, yeah, I, I only heard, heard this uh, the day after because then, then the guys were telling me. But, um, yeah, it could have ended uh, not so nice. That would put a downer on it, wouldn't it? Huh? That would have put a downer on yeah, it. Yeah, that wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> then, then I would have a headache and, and, and full of tears, I guess. Karen, I'm going to throw some numbers at you from Dylan's ride because I know we've got listeners to the GTCC who appreciate these sort of things and can also compare them to the sort of numbers that us lowly amateurs can put out. So try and put these into context for us, if you will. So it was the fastest ever winning time at Roubaix, 5 hours 37 minutes, an average speed of 47 kilometres an hour, an average of 341 watts. Now, I find that slightly scary. I did a Zwift session before we doing this, and uh, it was based on FTP, and my FTP target was 320, so that's ludicrous. Here's the other number which terrifies me. <laughs> so Dylan's peak power, and I think, Dylan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, this came where you were jumping across to the lead group. Your peak power was 1,126 watts. That blows my mind. Well, uh, It's not, not so, so incredible, no? Yeah, even I can do that. Can you? Which isn't saying a lot. <laughs> but yeah, the average is, is just bonkers. You know, the speed, for instance, you know, is a tailwind all day, which obviously helps. But the way the race went as well, you know, attacking so early on in the crosswinds, etc. I think like as when Dylan was talking about, you know, the, the, the sectors and the wind direction and stuff, knowing the course makes such a big difference. You know, knowing when to change his bike, that would have saved him a lot of energy. Knowing when to attack as the wind was coming from this way and knowing it's going to, you're going to turn up in 200 meters. And so all those things come into play when it comes to that. But um, yeah, 340. Yeah, I think that's normalized power though. Okay. So freewheeling and stuff isn't taken into account, but still when you push in, you push in that much. That's uh, over five hours. It's a, uh, it's not bad. So yeah, it's like one of those days that, that, yeah, what you say, because of the wind, because uh, the way they raced, you, you also keep pressure all day on, on the pedals. Normally, if there is a break going, you, you stop a bit, mm -hmm. you, you, you chat a bit. But yeah, this this year, there was no, no time for that, you know. So that also um, 
is probably one of the reasons why it was the fastest fastest Roubaix as well, because it was whole day racing. Have you found, Dylan, I remember Geraint telling me after 2018 that he wanted to celebrate the Tour win properly because cycling is so relentless. There's always another day's racing generally just around the corner. So have you reflected much on Paris-Roubaix? Have you had the chance to think about it and look back at it? Or have you just gone straight on to the next race, wherever it may be? Um, and I, I've spent like two weeks um, in Holland after Roubaix. And yeah, basically every day you go, you go out for dinner and everyone wants to celebrate, you know, and I'm the first person to say, yeah, I'm up for that. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it was it was a really special uh, special two weeks to really uh, celebrate it. Um, but yeah, then you also know that yeah you have other goals still ahead. So yeah, I wanted to to be part of the tour team again, um, helping G win Swiss. That was nice. Um, so yeah, the, I have this this balance where where I just when I can do it, I just do it full gas. Um, but if I have to focus again, then yeah, I can do that as well. So I I switched the button after those two weeks again to really uh, focus again on the tour. But yeah, then in the off season now, I, I enjoyed it quite a lot again. <laughs> it's lucky though that Roubaix, it falls at a good time for that because obviously it's the kind of end of the first part of the season. So naturally you have a week off anyway. So if you end up winning Roubaix, it's a cracker of a week or two so yeah, especially now because Amstel was was like before yeah. Roubaix so it was really I think only Quiato had to do um, Liège the week after but the rest of the team had basically a rest week so that was that was super nice and you said it earlier Tom but that was some week for the team so they won Amstel on the Sunday Bramans Peel on the Wednesday we had like three guys in the top six or something yeah yeah and then to cap it off with um, Roubaix, although I did heap a bit of pressure onto the guys doing Liège, which I was one of them, <laughs> and getting all these messages. <laughs> oh, let's keep the ball rolling. Let's make it four out of four. Um, oh, first flesh, I guess. Ah, flesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, flesh was on the Wednesday and after Roubaix. That was terrible. That was even worse. Um, no, I think Martinez might have been fifth, maybe. That's not so bad. He was top five. And then Liège, we had a bit of bad luck at the end. Martinez dropped his chain, but I think he ended up fourth or fifth in that as well. So it wasn't a bad end, but given the fact we'd won the three big races before, it was a bit of a bit of a downer. So sorry about that. We kind of let the team down there. But. <laughs> How's it going to be next year for you two? Because you've been teammates for a while. You also seem to be good mates. So is it strange when you've been together for a long time and then you're going to be riding against each other? Yeah, I think once the season gets going, it's going to be weird. Like, it's even weird now. Like, in September time, we were talking about, oh, yeah, this in October camp or et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And Dylan was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be there, actually, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be with my boring jumbo teammates, you know, <laughs> talking about supermarkets or whatever you do. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> were you in um, Rabobank under 23? Yeah, under 23, yeah. So it's kind of like going home for you, almost. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it really feels like... Uh going home you know like speaking all the time dutch instead of english yeah it feels feels more natural yeah it, it will be strange even even now you know when you when you're not anymore in that this group app or like those yeah. those small things um yeah that's a bit bit different and especially when when the raising starts and we both have different kits on um yeah that will be strange 
But I, I don't know how how much we race we will race together this year, but Yeah. Do you do uh, down under? No. Algarve? No. Tirreno? Yeah, Tirreno, yeah. Tirreno then. There you go. Be war. I'm not gonna give you an inch, mate. Oh mate, me neither. Oh, you should let me out though. No, you, would, you, would you let me out if I was like, Dylan, Dylan? Oof. I have to think about that one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you prefer more though, the Welsh or the Belgians? In, in race? Just in general. If, if you would uh, scream my name with a Belgian accent, maybe I will move then. Huh. Okay, give <laughs> that a go, Garrett. Have a little test run on that now. <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God for Thomas Dylan. Yeah, that sounds the links, huh? The links. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> now it will be strange, but um, yeah, I've had uh, five incredible years. The first time that I remember G more closely was uh, when I joined the um, Tenerife camp in '18 in uh, in May. There was okay. Yeah, we have seen each other in in the in the team camps before that, but that's that's really the first time that we spend some more time together and that really opened my eyes uh, how much you need to do to be a good professional bike rider basically yeah, i think dylan was the one was good guy to do extra with but dylan loves training you know he loves getting the hours in as well and i think it's fair to say me and dylan probably do the most hours or used to anyway changed it a bit this year but yeah so dylan was always good to have those camps so I'm not too sure who I'm going to do extra with because it used to be me, Froomey, and Dylan who'd do more. Obviously, both have moved on now. So, yeah, I have to drag. A bit lonely. Yeah, it will be. I'll just drag Pitcock with me. Text each other. Just, you know, a little secret text. End of the day. Listen, everyone else has bailed out too early. Do you fancy it, old time's sake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> will you, you don't have. Did Jumbo go to Tenerife? Uh, we go in February. Oof, that's a bit early for me. Yeah. And then you go do Isla a lot. No, not Isla. Where's that place they go? Shera. Where? Shera, Nevada and Tigne. Tigne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The Avalanche place. That ruined 2019. Yeah. Tour. yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah. yeah. Changed the result forever. <laughs> we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Dylan, thanks for coming on. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, bashing bars with you next yeah. year. Yeah, it would be cool. I hope you will do some classics. That would be nice. Yeah. Might have to do one more year just to do some classics with you. Yeah, that would be nice. It's a strong lineup they got though, Tom. You know, a bit punchy. Dylan it? and Van Aert. You know, like some people might have said, oh, you know, why are you going there? Van Aert's there. But I think that could play into Dylan's advantage as well, knowing that it's kind of like me and Froomey. You know, Froomey was the name and the, the guy that had done more. So people were watching him and up La Rossier, that's when I went and that basically set me up to win the tour. So it's going to be hard for people racing Jumbo next year in the Classics because you can't let Dylan go. But at the same time, if you spend all your energy chasing Dylan, Van Aert's just going to hit over the top, isn't he? So yeah, I might just avoid the Classics next year. <laughs> just talk myself out of it. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, basically you mark Dennis Bergkamp and Mark Overmars gets around the back before you know what's happened. Exactly, Tom, exactly. Well, cheers, Dylan. And yeah, um, Thanks. Yeah, maybe do a ride before you change kit. Because once you bit. change, that's it. You're dead. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, I'm going to delete Same. your number. Same. Yeah. Might even just delete this podcast if it comes out. <laughs> <to you. laughs> yeah, let's do that. Crack him. Gee, I am delighted to announce that we have got Momentous back on board as a sponsor for a Series 3 of the GTCC. 
Momentus, a little bit like UG, are dedicated to optimizing both the mind and body, and they're leading the way for high performance seekers at all levels. Right, so for those not familiar with Momentus, G, tell us all about their flagship product. Yeah, so PR lotion is something I've used on my body for years, Tom. It basically delivers bicarb directly to your muscles via your skin and bypasses the gut, which I don't know if you've ever drunk bicarb, Tom, but that's a big plus. The best time to use it, I find, is an hour and a half before your workout on Zwift or out on the road or whatever you're doing. And it's not too sticky either. It doesn't get stuck in your hairs if you've forgotten to shave. And it definitely helps me train harder. All of this is true, G. It is actually scientifically proven to improve performance and decrease muscle soreness and helps you make all those training goals. If you want to get your hands on some PR lotion, Momentus are giving GTCC members, that's you listening right now, yes you, 25% off. Give them the code G. Just head over to PRLotion.com and use the code GTCC2022 to get 25% off today. Enjoy. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? This week, G, I would like to encourage everyone to try the Z Racing Series, the more competitive side of Zwift. It's now more accessible than ever and you can easily find the exact right category for you as Zwift now calculates it on your past riding. All activity within Zwift is monitored so it develops an e-passport for every user to determine which level you can enter. You can race at your level or above, just not in categories below your level for obvious cheaty reasons. So this does mean G, for now at least until you retire and get fat, I won't be racing against you. The Z Racing Series lets you try a different course each week. It's a great way to test out your legs as we hit winter. And guess what? There is a race every single hour of the day. Oh, cracking. I think that's a great challenge for December. Give racing a go before Christmas or even set it up as a New Year goal. Right, Tom, time for any other business. Any more questions for me this week? Yeah, I do have one, G, and it follows on from last week's very popular episode with Jonas Finnegar. If you haven't heard it already, go back and check it out because it is a good one. Um, By the way, Tom, yeah, Vingegor. 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 From Jonas Vingegor. It's so hard, isn't it? Because it it's yeah, totally different yeah. how you spell it. I need to re-listen to the episode just to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so here is the question. It's from Adam Black. Adam says, question for G. Do you think your performance in the tour last year would have won previous editions? Oh, what a great question. Adam goes on to say, I thought you looked really strong and was unfortunate to be up against Vunogor in that form. <sighs> I don't know. It's so hard. It's like a race. The tour isn't won purely on fitness, is it? Everything else comes into play, tactics. It's not a time trial, is it? No, no. There's, there's tactics, there's team politics, there's all sorts of jazz going off. So, yeah, I was in great form. But that, that's a question a lot of people have asked, like, oh, are you in better shape than when in 2018? I don't think so, really. I did a lot of PBs, but it ha times has changed a lot as well since then, even though it was only four years. But 
training nutrition is is the biggest thing for me that's changed a hell of a lot so it's like you know when people compare generations in football yeah obviously that's generational this is only four years but it's hard to just compare like yeah the end of the day I was on the podium in both I felt like I was going well for both who knows really but uh it is what it is, isn't it? It is indeed what it is. Another question Bit for you. Bit of a cop-out of an answer. But. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It's like, as you say, the football debate is impossible because you're playing against, if you do the whole Messi, Maradona, Pelé thing, you're playing against totally different defences with different rules. But yeah, each tour has a totally different parkour and you adjust your riding each day to the state of the race around you, don't you? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, but... that. Uh, Seen you mention Messi, Messi or Ronaldo? Messi, every day of the week. Yeah. You? Messi, for sure. Haven't you met Messi? Haven't you got one of his shirts? Yeah, yeah. After I won the tour, I was lucky enough to go to the new camp, Camp New, and they he scored a hat trick in Champions League. Got a jersey off him. That was yeah, that was mad actually. He's small as well. Did you give him one of your tour jerseys, or did he just give you a Barcelona jersey free? <laughs> no, we did we did do a swap. I'm not sure how much he wanted a yellow <laughs> tour jersey. But um he does have a Pinarello, so he must ride a bike a bit, oh. but um I'm sure he's got it framed. He's got it framed in his front room, haven't he? Above his fireplace. It'll be in the hall as you come into his house. It'll be the first thing you see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every time somebody new walks in, he's just pointing at it, going, Yeah, look. Legend. Look what I got. <laughs> look at that boy. And then the second thing he says is Geraint Thomas or Chris Froome? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No debate, mate. <laughs> We've got another question for you, G, here. This is from Purple Rose. Purple Rose would like to know, beef, chicken or pork? Well, it depends what you're doing, to be honest, or what you're having. Eating it, I think. Well, you know, on a dinner, like a, a Sunday dinner, I'd probably go chicken. But would I have a half a roast chicken or a steak? I'd go steak. Pork would always, oh, I pulled pork, oh, pulled pork, pulled chicken, or never really had pulled beef, but, mm, love a pulled pork, like, bow bun or something, oh, lovely. So that's a tough one, isn't it? But if I could only eat one for the rest of my life, I would go chicken. It's got to be chicken, hasn't it? The versatility of chicken. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Sweet and sour, oh, those rotisserie chickens are lovely, you know, when you go into well, Carrefour or Tesco or somewhere and get a nice hot chicken. <laughs> oh, lovely that. Hot chicken, baguette, boom. <laughs> Easy. So as Purple Rose's question has proved, you can ask G pretty much anything on this pod. Get in touch in all the usual places. Let us know where you listen to pod and fire your question in for G. We have also had a message in from Lee Okens about your white sun god sunglasses, G. So Lee says, sound decision, stick with what you know, those white rim shades. We'll see you to overall Giro victory in a few months' time. That's very bullish stuff from Lee. Thank you. Yeah, punchy that, but yeah, that would be nice. I'd definitely sign up for that. But um, oh, they're, they're, they are nice. They're nice to wear. I think it helps right? that... Um, the pair that I was training in, the Oakleys that I was training in since November to December, the lenses were absolutely, they were scratched and like knackered really. So if I'd put any old glasses on, if I'd put a pair of Max's glasses on, it would have <laughs> looked good, you know, or maybe not Max's with all those f fingerprints and stuff. But so, um, no, yeah, they're nice. They're, they're so obviously a bit of a change to get used to them. Maybe a bit more of a change for people looking at me, but uh 
Yeah, the the rimmed the white rims are good for the team anyway. They can actually spot me now, so that's all good. I enjoyed your social media post where you did a very clever thing where you were wearing the non-white rim ones and then, so you're on your bike and then you look down at your stem so your your face was briefly hidden and then when you look back to the camera, hey presto, your rims were white. Oh, did you do that yourself? Of course, Tom. Very modern, very <laughs> hip. I mean, I'm down with the kids now, you know. I'll be TikToking all over the place next time. <laughs> well, if you are the person who helped G with that very nice social media post, uh, well done to you. <laughs> right, Tom, I think that's it for today. Just a reminder to everyone to go to the gtccstore.com to check out our new Club G-Lays and bag yourself a jersey or some bib shorts before it's too late. Yeah, and if you want to become an official GTCC domestique and access loads of club benefits, including a discount code for the shop, go to patreon.com forward slash GTCC to sign up. We will see you next week. See you later, Mike. <laughs> that was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to club secretary Louise Gwilliam, heads of music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, head of social Archie Biltcliffe, and our honorary president, Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. <laughs>